We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. John Ellis, Billy Marshall here with you. We've got a great guest today, Doug Farrar from USA Today, Touchdown Wire. You've seen his stuff on Twitter. One of the best in the business. Doug, how you well, doing, thanks sir? Thanks for the, uh, the kind intro. Uh, very happy to do this. I've enjoyed conversing with you for a while now. Awesome, man. We enjoy it. Uh, always enjoy your content. And uh, you can check him out at NFL underscore Doug Farrar. First question I've got for you, Doug. Uh, you've been following of course, like all of us, what's going on on the college landscape? Of course, several conferences are pushing things back to the spring now. Uh, looks like the ACC, as of uh, it's Thursday right now, has a meeting scheduled for later today to decide what's going on from their end. Um, 
give us your general perspective on what we're dealing with now in terms of the college game and how that impacts the pro game moving forward in terms of the draft, the combine, the senior bowl, all that good stuff. Well, I think when you're talking about the NCAA versus the NFL, it's kind of two different animals in that NFL players obviously have representation. Um, NFL players have several, you know, if there's 10 seats at the table, they've got at least five. And that, that is worn out over time because they didn't used to. And then, you know, things went the right way. Uh, talking about the NCAA first, because two comp, two of the power five have made the decision not to play and, and three have, um, you know, you've got a wildly divergent set of beliefs as far as the reality of the coronavirus. Um, there are, you know, I was on an NFLPA conference call a few weeks ago. And J.C. Treader, who's the NFLPA president and also the center of the Cleveland Browns. So imagine, let's, let's take that for a second. You're a center in the NFL. You got a guard on either side of you. You got a tackle outside. You had a quarterback uh, with his hand, you know, between your legs. You're blocking <laughs> any number of defensive players over and over and over. And yeah, you're not worried about contagion at all. But what, what Treader, one of the things Treader said, is that there are some coaches, some NFL coaches, and he didn't go into names, but some NFL coaches who said, look, this is too hard to to handle the coronavirus protocols and do my job. And there are some NFL coaches who, swear to God, this is what he said, believe, let's just have them all get sick and see how sick they get. There are some NFL coaches who believe in herd immunity. Now take that to the NCAA, where the players have no representation, no voice at the table, they're on year-to-year scholarships, they can essentially be Kaepernicked at any given time, you know, if they're not seen to be quote-unquote cooperative. And I think you just have an absolute recipe for, for administrative disaster. Take also into account that the three Power Five conferences that have at this point decided to play all have multiple schools in hotspot states. All three of them have multiple schools in hotspot states. So digest that for a minute. Um, Mark Emmert has already punted everything to the conferences. The conferences have kind of punted everything to the schools. There is no paradigm of responsibility in the NCAA. Gosh, what a shocker there, huh? Um, You know, I, I think at the NCAA level, any conference that decides to play is... And I, this is a strong statement, I be, but I believe it's true, is abdicating any pretense of player safety, not that it was a big pretense to begin with. Um, I think because the NCAA is so far behind the eight ball in this matter, that there's no way to keep people safe but to shut it down. Uh, and I mean shut it down entirely, at least until the spring. And sadly, I think the three conferences that that have decided to play at this time are all going to find that out in really uh, abrupt and possibly tragic fashion. Obviously, with the George Floyd protest and a lot of the events that have come after it, um, we saw with the NBA, they've taken the initiative to, you know, kneel before the games and they're really using their platform. What do you expect from the NFL players this season when it comes to um, any type of initiatives they have, whether it's peaceful protesting before the national anthem or other um, larger missions um, that they could promote during the season? Right. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I 
people have tried to compare the Kaepernick situation to a lot of different things and him to a lot of different people. I've always compared him to Kurt Flood. And for those who don't know, I know you guys know. Um, Kurt Flood was a, an outfielder for the St. Louis Cardinals in the 60s. And the Cardinals just upped and traded him to the Philadelphia Phillies, I believe, in ni- before the 1969 season. And the Phillies front office had a reputation as being really bad um, as far as just dealing with race and, and, and black players overall. And Flood was a black man. Um, so he wrote a letter to Bowie Kuhn, the commissioner of baseball, saying, I am a man. I am not a piece of property. You can't just trade my butt wherever you want. And at that time, every professional sport has had what was called the reserve clause, different iterations of it, which means the reserve clause was a series of year-to-year contracts, kind of like how NCAA scholarships are now, which is we have you this year. We can extend you you know, maybe with a thousand dollar bump in salary, um, you know, as long as we want, we can do whatever we want with you and you have no say. Kurt Flood sacrificed his career for free agency. So it was the people that came after Flood. Flood's career was over. It was the people that came after him that benefited to the tune of billions and billions of dollars and freedom of movement and, you know, what we have today. And I, I don't think Kaepernick will ever play in the NFL again. Um, I think that's wrong. I think he's qualified to do so. The point is, the players after Kaepernick, you're never going to be able to put the genie back in the bottle. Certainly at the NFL level, and even at the NCAA, because, you know, with the NCAA, this whole we want to play thing, I mean, that was something, I'm sure you guys have read about this and heard about it. It was a couple of players sending DMs on Twitter back and forth, and like four hours later, they had a whole movement with some of the most prominent players in the in the in college football, including Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. So mm-hmm. at all levels of football now, you have players who understand the power of their statements and the weight of their names. And I remember talking to a couple of players who I won't name in the last two or three years. And I would ask them basic political questions and they'd say, look, I agree with what you're saying, but I don't want to say anything because I don't want to be like Colin. I don't want to be out. And I think that's gone. So what George Floyd did, what the pandemic did, what over three years of a repressive presidential administration has done is it, it's given us a, a feeling, I think, and, and the players a feeling, I think, of a lot, you know, you get to the point where what do we have to lose? You know, everything is already so bad. What do we have to lose? I'm going to say what I want. And the multiplicity of players saying what they want. All of a sudden, you know, you've got people inside the NFL head office doing that campaign with prominent players. You know, I am George Floyd. And, you know, media people in the NFL office did that and then went to Roger Goodell and said, hey, we've done this. You better get on board or you're going to look like a complete idiot. And Goodell is a lot of things, but he's not stupid. He realized the sea change that has happened. So that that's a long way of answering that it will never be what it was for Colin Kaepernick. It took Colin Kaepernick to get it there in the same way it took Kurt Flood sacrificing his career and, and kind of his life in, in a certain way um, because he, he, his, he kind of had a tragic end. 
um, and there was some there was some trauma around what happened to him in baseball. Uh, but I think that's where we are now, where you will never again see players being punished to that extreme. I know we're, we're, this is a Panthers thing. I, you guys know the Trey Boston story and how Jerry Richardson tried to tell him, hey, you can't do this. And then all of a sudden, one of the best deep safeties in the NFL has a bunch of year-to-year contracts with different teams. Hmm. And now that Tepper is the owner, he's back on a, what, three- or four-year deal? Go figure. Uh, so, <laughs> it's a it, Doug. It's it's a it's a fascinating conversation. Uh, I'm glad to get your input on that because Bill and I have talked about that issue, and it's it's one that a lot of folks for a long time have been reluctant to talk about. And you know, the league obviously every one thing people don't take into account. I mean, you look at a Twitter account like Jack Del Rio. These these coaches have a wide range of political and social views, and I think that does impact their perspective on if a player would be a fit culturally in their system in their locker room and that brings me to our next point about cam newton well just to, just to interrupt for a second right. i think a thing like del rio where it's not just this is my opinion this is i mean he's he's thrown out some pretty wackadoodle stuff there yeah no and one of the things about the player's understanding their power it's going to be less about what the coaches think of you and your politics it's going to start to become more what the players think of the coaches and their practice. Right. That's going to start to turn on its head. And, you know, I I don't have any problem. You know, the real is the right to say whatever he wants. He doesn't have the right to say whatever he wants without consequence. Sure. And the consequence is going to start to be more and more. The players will look at the coaches in the way the coaches looked at the players. And the players are saying, you know, I don't think you're a good fit. Because I don't know how I can respect you if you think less of me as a man. You know what I'm saying? Right. No, I get it. I totally get it. Uh, Doug, your your coverage of, of Cam Newton, who has also been widely misunderstood by the national media, uh, some of it is some of it is will <laughs> some of it is willful ignorance, as I'd call it. A lot of it is just ignorance. I want to just get your perspective on where he is right now. His game, because your coverage has been outstanding on Newton over the years, his game, his health, and his fit with Bill Belichick, which I believe is a tremendously dynamic combination. How do you see that playing out in New England? Yeah, I mean, the, the health thing, we don't know. What we do know is in the first half of the 2018 season, when he was healthy, Cam Newton was one of the best quarterbacks statistically and on tape in the NFL. And he got hurt, and then he got hurt again. Uh, the shoulder thing was a big deal. The foot thing was a big deal. Um People know that you can't really throw that well without, you know, shoulder balance, whether it's your throwing shoulder or not. Um, anyone who's tried to play quarterback or pitcher understands that if you can't plant, you're dead. So right, right. for them to shut him down in 2019 made all the sense in the world. Um, from there, you go to, okay, what does David Tepper want? What does Matt Rule want? Matt Rule has every right, by the way, to come and say, look, this is the kind of quarterback I want. If I want Teddy Bridgewater in the short term, that's my guy. Cool. Let's go. No problem with that. Is Cam Newton healthy, a better quarterback than Bridgewater? Yeah, but we don't know if Cam Newton's healthy. Um, I'll say this about the fit in New England, and it was funny when it, you know, Tom Brady goes to Tampa Bay, and everyone knows that Jared Stidham and the Pips is not going to work because outside of Julian Edelman, they don't have a receiver who can bust a great. So the quarterback's going to have to do a lot of work, and the scheme's going to have to do a lot of work. And all these people were saying, well, Andy Dalton would be such a scheme fit. I'm thinking to myself, Andy Dalton in his whole life has never run your heart, Perkins. 
which right, is what right. Belichick has run in different iterations since 2000. I mean, that's the only they've run different versions of it. And some of it's been more vertical. And they've, you know, certainly when they had Welker and Moss, they were the first team to go uh, 2007. They were the first team in NFL history to play over 50 percent shotgun. Uh, there were some basic elemental spread concepts. Um, they, you know, kind of took the Chip Kelly route with tempo for a while. They were running five, you know, bazillion plays per game and all that. So they've gone through obviously different kinds of offenses over 20 years, as every team would. But Cam has run different iterations of Earhart Perkins since 2012, and I've seen the New England playbooks. I haven't seen Carolina's playbooks. I know some things are going to be different. But if your overall verbiage is pretty much the same and the concepts are pretty much the same, um, and I, I wound up writing a, writing a piece about this because like, well, okay, do you think Andy Dalton's a fit because he's white? Do you think he's a fit because he's like average and somebody that, you know, Josh McDaniels can turn into a superhero? Because Cam was the guy Belichick called public enemy number one back in 2017. Right, right. Cam's the guy who's run versions of Earhart Perkins since 2012, since his second year in the league. So why Cam wasn't seen as a scheme fit, I mean, I think you can, and I would see people saying, well, Cam is absolutely not a scheme fit because he's a running quarterback and Belichick has never had a running quarterback. And I'm like, well, okay, um, go back to the deflate gate year where Brady was suspended four games and then Garoppolo got hurt in week three and Brissett came in. I believe that was his rookie season. And, you know, he didn't know Earhart Perkins from, you know, Statler and Waldorf. There's, there's no way that was going to happen yet. Um, but what they did against the Texans and won 27 to nothing is they ran a basic read option game and just beat the Texans to death. So, to say that Cam isn't a scheme fit, A, um, he's a better scheme fit than Andy Dalton because he's run a, a more similar offense. I mean, Andy's done, you know, three vert and he's done West Coast. I don't believe he's ever had a snap of Earhart Perkins, so that wouldn't matter. Um, you know, the Patriots can be a lot more fluid schematically than they're given credit for. Because they've had the best quarterback in NFL history for 20 years, you don't want to rock the boat. You're, you're not going to be dumb enough to say, hey, what if we went, you know, read option and all of a sudden try to make Brady an RPO quarterback? Well, nobody's that dumb. Um, I think the other thing I think, and I've written this, Belichick has probably the biggest football library in the world. Um, he is the foremost student of the game probably since Paul Brown or Sid Gilman, and maybe the foremost student of the game in NFL history. He's watched everything from Michael Vick. I mean, he, he was a defensive coordinator. He had to deal with Randall Cunningham twice a year. Right, Don't right, forget right, that with right. the Giants, right? So he's seen Randall Cunningham. He's seen Michael Vick, both the Falcons version and the Eagles version when he kind of became a quarterback all of a sudden. Um, you know, he's seen RG3. He's seen Russell Wilson. He's seen everything up to and including Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes. And given his intellectual curiosity and his understanding of the game's history, you have to think this whole time he's like, well, damn, I have Tom Brady, so I'm not going to mess with this. But you have to think, wouldn't he just love to get one of these types of guys? And they're they're yep, radically yep. different. But in Belichick's mind, it's it's not it's not even so much. Can I do it without Brady and prove everyone wrong that I'm not tied at the hip to this guy? Because there's an element of that. But, you know. 
for for Belichick, I mean, I remember talking to him uh, the week of Super Bowl Forty Nine, and his admiration and the things he said about Russell Wilson um, were like, "Wow, he really, really, you know, the things he said about Patrick Mahomes, the things he said about Lamar Jackson." You have to think Belichick all along has wanted a guy who could do more than just dive for a first down on fourth down, and. To a greater or lesser degree, that's what he has. I don't know if he's going to want to utilize Newton the same way he was utilized in Carolina. Um, you may see a Vic in Philadelphia transformation in that regard. Not that Cam needed to go that far because he's more of a passer than people think. But I think for several reasons, both on Newton's side and on the Patriots' side, um, I don't know if it's a perfect scheme fit, but damn, I can't wait to watch it. I just, I hope there's a season because I can't think of a more interesting story than not only is this the first time they've had a, a, a starting quarterback, not named Tom Brady for 20 years. And not only is Newton replacing the best quarterback ever, but you know, you just wonder how many playbooks of stuff have Belichick and McDaniels and going back to Charlie Weiss and all his offensive guys, how many playbooks of stuff, just diabolical stuff that maybe you've never seen before, have they compiled for a running quarterback who could grasp the entire playbook? Hey guys, you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price you'd never believe. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that the auction restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, DealDash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon sign up on top of their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com and use the offer code ROAR or deal-dash.fm slash roar. That's deal-dash.fm slash roar. I think Belichick, and I've studied his career. I know you've studied as much as anybody. He takes a great deal of pride, I think, in winning in different ways. You know, he won the Super Bowl a couple years ago with defense. He had to do it with defense there against the Rams. He's done it the same way back in 2001. He's been able to win with 50 points a game at times. And I think this is another feather in his cap. If he can win a Super Bowl or make a run with Cam Newton, that you know, is a big, big incentive for him personally uh, from a career perspective. It drives him, I think. Sure. Well, you also, I mean, at a, at a time when it could be argued that coverage is more important than pressure, that, and it was ignored because the offense, you know, didn't get him that far. They lost in the wild card round. That secondary, that New England secondary, is the best secondary I've seen since the 13 14 Legion of Boom. Right. Maybe the best man coverage secondary I've seen, and I wasn't like watching, you know, I've seen highlights of the Mike Haynes, Lester Hayes Raiders, but you'd have to go back to the Mike Haynes, Lester Hayes Raiders, in my opinion, to see a secondary play man coverage to that degree of near perfection. I mean, there was a point last year where Devin McCourty had more interceptions than targets in like week five. It was just preposterous, especially in you know, such a diverse and effective modern passing game to have a shutdown secondary like that. 
So you have that, and you can expect a little bit of regression to the mean, but they've still got the guys. I mean, Stephon Gilmore is still the best defensive player in the NFL, in my opinion. Um, certainly the best cornerback, and probably the most important player who's not a quarterback. So they've got that. Now, all of a sudden, Belichick can, and the Patriots, I'm, I'm working on some studies of pre-snap motion. The Patriots used a ton of it last year. Now take that pre-snap motion, and it's not just about receiver distribution and location, trying to get guys open who can't normally separate. Now it's about you're almost doing 12 on 11 because Newton is a quarterback and he's a runner, and now he's a, you know, he's a, a part of motion. And all of a sudden that offense becomes a lot more difficult to defend just in a general sense. What have you seen from Teddy, especially last year in Sean Payton's offense, and how do you think he can do – in a larger sample size because i know there were some games last year where uh, the production wasn't great but there were others where he did play well um so i guess what are your expectations for him and how do you see him kind of fitting in with the rest of the offense well with with teddy i mean with any player you have to understand what he can and can't do and going back i mean i was i i was at sports illustrated when he came out he was my number one player in that draft class of the top 50 I've done since Yahoo um, in 2011. Um, and I think with him, you've got a guy who can run, you know, screened intermediate, like zero to maybe 18 to 20 air yards. You're in really good shape. If you want deep stuff, I mean, is Robbie Anderson going to eat as much as he wants to? I don't know. They might have to come up with some different concepts here. I don't think he's ever been a great deep ball quarterback. In college, I mean, it was kind of like anything after 15 yards in the air was kind of mystery meat. Things would start to wobble, and receivers would start to get jacked up because they were waiting there for five seconds going, okay, ball, come down, come down, please. Um, you know, he's not a velocity thrower. He's an intelligent distributor of the ball. He's more a point guard then he is a fastball pitcher, and that's perfectly fine. And that kind of player can thrive in Sean Payton's offense all day because Drew Brees hasn't had a great, consistent deep ball in about five years. doesn't matter because that's not what he's asked to do. Um, so, you know, Joe Brady is certainly, you know, highly respected guy, and justifiably so, um, engineered the best collegiate passing season of all time. So here we are now, um, and – Brady has to get together with Bridgewater. Okay, and and every coach does this with every quarterback. What are your five favorite plays? What are your favorite concepts? Kind of, what do you? What have you liked to do? Whether it was at Louisville or Minnesota, wherever, um, you know, what are your concepts? I've watched your tape all summer. I see, you know, I think you're comfortable with this. Is are there things we can adapt? Um, I, I think certainly in any situation where both the quarterback and the coach are coming into new situations, I remember um, talking with Ron Rivera at the 2012 Combine, and I asked him about how he was able to ease Cam Newton's transition into the NFL. And it certainly it, it makes sense for college players, but it makes sense for any situation where you get a coach and a quarterback both coming into a new situation. Um, and you can bet the Patriots are doing this as camp. Rivera said, we kind of, we took a lot of Auburn's offense and we welded it to as much of our offense as Cam could grasp right away. And once we saw that he could grasp it, we would add levels. And, you know, 
five more plays here, five more plays there. I think that's, you know, I don't know what their concepts are going to be. Uh, I, I know that Bridgewater is not, if you want a deep thrower, he's not the guy you want to get. But if you want a guy who can grasp an offense very quickly, because um, Sean Payton, that's not 101. That's graduate degree stuff, especially the passing game. So Bridgewater has proven that he can go, you know, and Petrino, for all his uh, off-field foibles, uh, I bought his book. That's a very complex offense, you know. So whatever his flaws may be, and you hope he doesn't, gosh, you just hope he doesn't get hurt again, um, you know, quote-unquote injury-prone, I don't know about that. Um, not a great deep ball thrower. Well, I think that's been proven out, and that's okay. You can win a Super Bowl without the deep ball. Not that I think that you know that's going to happen this year for them, but you know I think just in a general sense, I can't be more specific except to say I've studied Bridgewater enough to know what he's good at, and he's good at all the important things. He's good at accuracy, timing, distribution, throwing with anticipation. You know the things that matter a lot more than arm strength. Um, you know, uh, Josh Allen has all the arm strength in the world. Drew Locke has all the arm strength in the world. Those guys are completely untold stories. Bridgewater, we kind of know what he is, and he's good enough to lead this offense. Um, he's got maybe the only running back that, uh, quote-unquote, matters, I guess. Does Christian McCaffrey matter? I think he does. Um, you know, they're, they're putting it together. But I think, you know, I, I think if he's utilized correctly and taken away from the stuff he doesn't do well, um, I think it'll be fine, but maybe he's the bridge. You know, he's the bridge. Ha ha ha! Uh, I'll leave. I'll leave you with that terrible pun. But I'm bump. Doug Farrar has been our guest today from USA Today Touchdown Wire. Doug, where can we find your work? Uh, give us some plugs here before we get you out of here. Great talk, by the yeah, way. Yeah, uh, the Touchdown Wire website. Me and Mark Schofield, who I know you know well, and Barry Werner are killing it over there. Uh, the book, The Genius of Desperation, and uh, all kinds of angry stuff on Twitter. Awesome, man. Doug Farrar has been our guest right here on Blue Wire, the Roar podcast. We're going to be talking with Luther Broughton, former Eagles and Panthers tight end. That's coming up on Tuesday. Can't thank Doug enough for his time. Catch you guys on the flip side. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is back in action, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Ory. See what they had to say on what it'll be like to be playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering expert. From earaches to strep tests, there's Minute Clinic at CVS. See a provider, fill a prescription, and grab essentials. Or see us online with telehealth options. That's healthier made easier. Visit Minute Clinic at CVS today. Services vary by location. See MinuteClinic.com for details. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at LittletonCoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at LittletonCoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company.
serving collectors since 1945.